There is joy in heaven. Amen. Over one sinner that repents, more than ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Open your Bibles, please, with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I shall not be tedious or long tonight. I made a promise that there'd be some subjects that I would repeat from time to time. And so it's time tonight to repeat one for your practical benefit. What I want to say before I begin is that the great God that I preached about this morning, to whom we want to draw nigh with a true heart, is the God, is the creator God, not only of all the physical things that we see, but he's the great God that has established the rules and ordinances by which we are to live. And therefore, we cannot be drawing nigh to him with any true heart unless we submit ourselves and humble ourselves before all of his commandments and do them cheerfully, lovingly, believing that they're from a great heavenly Father who has designed things for our profit and his glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5, I read that the, the apostle Paul defending himself, saying, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, And Cephas, the Apostle Paul here says that he had as much right to have a wife as anyone. And he goes on to say that the other apostles did have wives. We know that Peter had a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife? I want to briefly tonight remind you of our marriage responsibilities. I do this because, as I just said, and I'll say it again, that I'm going into it and we're not going to be long. We cannot draw near to God and enter into the holiest with an unhappy, unscriptural marriage relationship. Can't do it with a true heart. And while I'm only using this text because I'm going to limit my number of texts so that I can limit my number of minutes... I could turn you to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 where it says that if we have an unhappy marriage, our prayers will be hindered before God. Please stay with me as we look at just a few verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The way I'd like to approach it tonight is to give 10 essentials for marriage, and we're just going to spend a couple of minutes on each of them. One verse for each one. There will be an outline available. Anyone who wants it can email me, and I'll email it right back to you if you want it immediately. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. The most successful woman, the most successful man that you can be married to is one that is godly and content. Amen. Therefore, the first essential for a good marriage is godliness with contentment. Right. Because it breeds success. It is success. It's great gain. If you want great gain in your marriage, it begins with godliness and contentment. The godliness was preached this morning, and that is seeking God more than anything else. A godly woman will treat her husband the way the Lord says to treat her husband. A godly man will treat his wife the way the Lord tells a man to treat his wife. A contented man will be happy with his wife, And a contented woman will be happy 
with her husband. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Two Christians, by the nature of their existence as children of God, cannot be happy in a marriage unless they're both living godly lives. Godliness is the first prerequisite to a marriage. Godliness esteems God's word about everything that's involved in a marriage very highly and hates every false way. It totally believes God and what he has said about marriage. Not your ideas, not your feelings, not your habits, not your parents' marriage. We don't care about your parents' marriage and neither does the Lord. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Godliness, according to first, I better not quote verses either. Godliness leads to a happy life. He that will love life and see good days, let him eschew evil. Seek peace and pursue it. That's godliness. And that is a good and a happy life. Selfishness, bitterness, moodiness, anger, defrauding, adultery, and any disruption of a marriage is a lack of godliness. So if we start by seeking the Lord, it is the greatest single thing you can do for your marriage. And really, all the rest of these will fall into place like dominoes. So that it becomes so simple, maybe we just ought to stay here and re-preach this morning and close up an outline on marriage. Because it starts with seeking the Lord. A woman that wants to be like Mary Magdalene and Mary the sister of Lazarus, who seeks the Lord as her personal companion for life and the portion of her soul forever. That woman who humbles herself before God will be a loving, contented, wonderful wife. Because God the Holy Spirit will be bleeding through her and flaming through her the virtues that make a great woman. A woman who comes in here and sits and goes her own way and has carved out her little niche in life that she's going to survive in until she dies, you're ruined. Men, from her standpoint, but you still have God with you. And if you'll put your whole trust in the Lord, he'll take care of you one way or another. So you're not ruined at all if you put your trust in the Lord. But I'm pre- I am preaching tonight to couples that both claim to fear God. So godliness is the first thing. You look at that text right there, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It can be great gain for your marriage if you're seeking godliness first and the contentment that flows from it. Listen to this. What I taught you this morning is the perfect recipe for contentment. I had a brother yesterday that I told this to again because it's so precious to me. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5. Do you know how those words are used? That we should live without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. If you have the great God as your personal companion, that's what the verse is saying, I will never leave thee. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's the great God speaking to a sinner. Why would you ever covet anything else? Everything else is just insignificant vanity compared to that. And so the, the premise is right there, the argument is, if you want to be content, you make the Lord your portion. Nothing else matters. Right. And if a man and a woman will do that, they're going to have a wonderful marriage and they're going to have the blessing of God upon it. Amen. 
That is the first thing, and it's the most important thing. If you try to make a marriage with some by some other means, a more exotic vacation location, are you kidding me? Everyone who's ever tried that notices it's an utter failure. It's ridiculous. If you, th- if you think it's just going to the gym, or if you think it's just bringing flowers home, or if you think it's just writing cards, that isn't going to make it. It's seeking the Lord. And brethren, I started off with a verse that's become very precious to me, that marriage is leading about a sister. Because what, what that does is it blows out all the Hollywood concepts of marriage and reduces it to companionship in the service and worship and love of God. Amen. Marriage, get, marriage takes on a whole new light. And I want to preach it that way from now on. Amen. That you marry someone to provide companionship to assist you in the worship of God. You have to marry in the Lord or you won't be worshiping God with that spouse. That's right. It's in the Lord. Let's go to the second point, 1 Corinthians 11.9. The first one's the most important, but let's go to the second one. The first one was that godliness with contentment is going to bless your marriages. 1 Corinthians 11.9. The second, most, the second important thing that God wants you to know and remember is that there are roles in marriage. 1 Corinthians 11.9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. This text is not popular today. Preachers don't like to preach it because the women don't like to hear it. So it's not preached very much. This is what, the, this is what God says. This is the word of the Lord. This is his precious word. This is a rule for a successful, happy marriage. There have to be roles. Anyone who's been in the military, there certainly were roles, weren't there? Were there privates and sergeants? Were there sergeants and colonels? Were there colonels and captains? And with what if they were all equals? What a disaster. There has to be someone that's going to take the leadership, and someone must voluntarily submit to that leadership. And guess what? There's never been a perfect leader in the history of the world except the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you submit, of course, you're submitting to the mistakes of the one in authority because that's what God has said to do. We're all sinners. And so everyone in authority, every husband is going to make mistakes. That does not excuse the woman. This is the verse. The man was not created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. Every woman should get up in the morning and after seeking God with her heart, with her whole heart, that God is her portion forever, that she wants to draw nigh to him after begging him to draw nigh to her. Lord, I know what you created me for, and it's to serve my husband. Help me do that today gloriously. My purpose is to serve him and to be his help. Make me glorious in the discharge of that office. Thank you for showing it to me. Give me the grace to do it. And if every day she would look at her role, it is the most liberating, highest ideal, and protected position for a woman is to follow the Bible. If you you try to cheat and protect yourself, I promise you, you're going to lose the happiness. God is perfectly wise, and when he ordained marriage, he ordained it for the ultimate maximum happiness of both parties, if we do it his way. The role is for the woman to be under submission and obedience and to reverence her husband. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've looked at two things. First of all, godliness. 
if a man and a woman are seeking the Lord, and I hope instead of two spots in the carpet in certain places in your house, that at times there's going to be four little dents close together. You and your wife praying together, seeking the Lord together. Brethren, it's hard, it's very hard to have animosity or a strained relationship with your wife and get down and pray together. Do I sound like the voice of experience? Sadly. 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Brethren, don't those words have a nice sound? Don't they have a nice sound? Who cares about their sound? You know, they print them on wedding invitations. They print them on cards. They print them on posters. They put them on e-cards. They put these words everywhere. These words have a precious sense. And the important thing about these words is for us to understand their sense and to do them. Let's not live the Christian life by taking the word of God and and letting it be a motto for us with just a nice sounding ring. You know, we've memorized these verses, and you see them everywhere. Charity never faileth. Well, what does that mean? Who's applying it? It doesn't fail. It doesn't end. But are we going to do it? If a man and a wife were to ever love each other the way of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, all their problems end now. There is. How can you have a problem that can get through those 15 phrases of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This is the highest definition of love in the universe. We don't need to turn anywhere else. Right. Love of us toward another. There is another higher love. Amen. It's what God did for us. Amen. But for us to love another, this is it right here. This is better than being an apostle. I, I wish I could preach to you 1 Corinthians 13 right now. I did to the family last night between 8 and 9 o'clock. Between 8 and 8.30. I don't preach an hour at home all the time. But right here in these four verses, this is the more excellent way. Look at the last verse of chapter 12, where the apostle has been asking, are you all apostles? Are you all prophets? No. Those, that's only a very select, small, exceptional minority. But there is a more excellent way to serve God than being an apostle. And it's harder. It's treating other people the way these four verses describe If a man or woman were ever to take the time and the commitment before God to learn these 15 phrases, to understand them, and to treat one another that way, all their marriage problems end. Most of the time I have to say I don't have any short solutions for your problems. This is one. This is love. And if you were to treat your spouse this way, your problems would end. Brethren, instead of some superficial effort at improving your marriage of going out to eat or having candles at home. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing those things. I'm just saying that they're all vanity relative to the importance of these four verses right here. 
I don't have time to preach the verses, though. You're going to have to go review them. You're going to have to get tapes on them or an outline on them. I will help you. If I see zeal of anyone toward righteousness and godliness, I will be your little energizer buddy, bunny that will get you anything you need because I am your servant. But I want to tell you, marriage, essentials, godliness with contentment. The woman was made for the man. Every marriage requires the woman realizing that God created her to serve her husband. Third, love. Both husband and wife loving one another this way, right here. It is not some romantic feeling. It is not a warm and fuzzy feeling. It is not romance. You must do this toward another person. There will never be romance. If you have feelings toward a person without this, it is pure lust. And you can get that with anyone, anywhere, anytime. That isn't love. Love is this right here. Giving and serving and helping and bearing with and putting up with and suffering with another person. Because we're all sinners, there's a whole lot of suffering involved. But if you have the right heart and you have a godly spouse, there's going to be less suffering than there was before. Amos chapter 3. Told you I wasn't going to be long. Amos chapter 3, I've shown godliness. How, what, what is essential for us having good marriages? Godliness, the proper roles, the proper love. Everyone wants to know how to have a Song of Solomon marriage. You don't get a Song of Solomon marriage by playing Mariah Carey 25 hours a day at home. You don't get a Song of Solomon marriage by playing Elton John 25 hours a day at home. You know, the love songs of Elton John. Listen, Elton couldn't figure out that there's a difference between men and women. Or maybe he did because he chose men over women. Now, what good is that going to do? You say, but I like his music. Well, why don't you like the sound of these words? Right. Let a man and his wife treat each other, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. That is love. And if you want to raise your probability of ending up in the Song of Solomon, it's to go there through the door of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. If a man and his wife treated each other that way, they'd end up there with wonderful feelings of oneness and pleasure in one another because of that kind of treatment. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, the fourth essential. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The fourth essential to a good marriage is communication. You have to talk and you have to listen. Half of communication, I shouldn't even say that, because more of it's listening than it is talking. Communication with your spouse is to listen to them and to learn them. I can't quote other verses. I'm not supposed to quote other verses to keep keep me short here, but it tells husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands dwell with them according to... Knowledge. The way to learn something is to listen and learn. Watch and learn. Every husband in here should be asking his wife and allowing her to express criticism. Oh, you know what criticism means, husbands, if you were ever to hear it? It means you'd improve from being the oaf that you are. Right. Isn't that exciting? Amen. Prog- progress requires change. Right. Change means that you were doing something wrong and now you're going to do it better. That's communication. Listening and improving. And coming to an agreement on everything. 
everything. You say, how can two people come to an agreement on everything? One was raised in one state with one set of parents. Another was raised in another set by another set of parents. I don't care if they were separated by national boundaries and even continental boundaries because there is one easy way to come to agreement right here. If everything is communicated about kindly, thoroughly, gently with one another, but always coming back to the Word of God, total agreement should exist between two people in a marriage. That's number four. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Two can't walk together except they be agreed. It doesn't work. So the communication is to listen and to speak, to open up. You can't hold that bitterness inside, and it doesn't mean to unload and slash your spouse with all the venom that you've been hiding for years when you, while you've been sinning against God. That's not what I'm talking about. But it doesn't mean to hide it. Open up. If you've got to write it and leave it for your spouse because you're afraid to say it to his face, then write it and leave it for your spouse. But do it in a reverential, submissive way, women. Listen and communicate. And the word of God, let it settle every disagreement. First Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. I dearly want this church to please the Lord Jesus Christ who is our head. You may think, some of you, that I'm being dramatic or almost jesting when I say I want the Lord to wait for 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock to arrive. I am not jesting, and I'm not being dramatic. If we're going to aim for being less than the best, we don't deserve to be as saints. Amen. We should be willing to give him everything to be the best. If he can ask Peter that, he's asking us that. And the way for us to be the best is to have marriages that crush the world, that our children can see are happy and content. There's a lot of contentment there, and two people worshiping the Lord together. Let that be the greatest antidote to the fornication and adultery that goes on outside our walls. First Corinthians 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. The implication there is that husbands and wives fast and pray together. Isn't that wonderful? It's It's just assumed. It's just run over as an assumption of something that goes on in Christian marriages. But the point here, we've got to make it quickly and go on, is that you are defrauding your marital spouse unless you give your marital spouse what they want and need, do benevolence, what they are owed to make them happy. And men, what makes you happy doesn't make your wife happy. And women, what makes you happy may not make your husband happy. You'll get a whole lot closer together if you start practicing what I'm preaching to you tonight. But you owe each other due benevolence. What is benevolence? What is benevolence? A gift, a generous gift, a giving. The due benevolence. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. 
Not what he thinks he owes her. What she needs and wants. I want to tell you something. I've been called a male chauvinist pig a few times in my life because I preach the old-fashioned gospel from the Word of God that women are to be in submission under their husbands. It's the Bible, so I'll continue to preach it, and I don't care what they call me. But do you know what? When we come to the issue of sex in a marriage, there is no difference. Do you understand this text here? The husband is not set up over the wife. Sex is not made for the husband. Sex is for both of them. And there's a whole lot more that could be said on that to prove by the, the human anatomy that God made the woman very unique and different and superior to the man for the enjoyment of sex if it's ever properly done. And the way it's properly done is to start with godliness and to realize your role and to love one another and to communicate Oh, yes, communication on this subject is of extreme importance. And then to practice this verse. Brethren, we owe our spouses what they need and what they want, which means you've got to stop, listen, consider, be patient, and shut yourself down long enough to give them what they need. I am not going too far in preaching from a New Testament pulpit because this is the New Testament. Amen. This is not Ezekiel chapter 23. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I hope that you will not miss it. Every husband, if he's going to be a good husband and make progress in having peace with the Lord, is going to become a great lover because of these five verses. And every woman's going to do the same thing. You will not be able to come to God after this sermon tonight and come with a true heart unless you're sensitive, receptive, patient, and giving. In the sexual relationship, there is no superiority of the man over the woman in the sexual relationship. We may have, you may have been taught that in your home. You may have been taught that by the women that you've met and talked to. You may have been taught that by that by books, by Hollywood movies, but in the word of God, they have equal rights. Right. First Peter chapter three and verse seven. The sixth essential for a marriage (coughs) is to prioritize your marriage. How important is your marriage to you? Godly spouses will not neglect this part of their life, but will give full attention to it, for the Lord exalts it. You compromise in your marriage relationship, and you're compromising in what I preached this morning. These two sermons go together, though no one without spiritual understanding would ever think so. I read in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Prioritize your marriage. This is point the essentials of having a marriage that allows you, helps you, and propels you toward the Lord is number six, to prioritize it. Make it important. What is cheating in you giving more attention and diligence to your marriage? What is stealing your time? Compromise here, according to this verse, hinders your prayers. So then I hear these words. I'm so dry. I'm so dull. I'm so cold. Has he forsaken me forever? No, you have forsaken him. Period. He says it right here. Your prayers will be hindered. There you are on your knees begging God for a closer, more living quickening, 
relationship with him, but you have a poor marriage because you haven't prioritized it and spent more effort on it, and your prayers don't get anywhere. You keep praying it, and you don't make progress. You need to prioritize it. Your marriage is more important to a woman than being a good mother. So don't let your children become your affair. Your marriage, man, is more important to you than being a good employee or business owner. So don't let your job become your affair. It requires a lot of hard work to have a godly marriage, but the results are worth it for no other reason than this. God said to do it. It requires much work, and don't sit around waiting for some arrow from Cupid's bow or some fate to affect your marriage. It doesn't work that way. That is Satan who has sold a lie to the world, and all you have to do is look at the marriage and divorce statistics and then interview any of the marriages where they haven't divorced yet. Next, go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, number 6, was to prioritize the importance of your marriage and work at it. Don't let it slip down to a low level of priority in your life, but keep it high. Colossians chapter 3, personalize your marriage responsibilities. Do you know what happens in a sermon like this? There are some women that sit and hear the pastor preaching against the men, and all they can think about is, I hope he's hearing that, I hope he's hearing that. And then the husband says, oh boy, I can't wait till he gets, I know he'll do it, I know Jonathan Crosby, he's going to get to that verse. I hope she hears it. Personalize it. Look at how it's always addressed. It's never addressed to husbands about their wives. It's addressed to husbands about the husbands. So when I come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, I read, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. It doesn't say husbands, demand that your wives submit to you in the Lord. It doesn't say that. It comes right after the parties involved so that there isn't excusing. Because what happens is, here's how it works. If my wife was more submissive, I'd be a better husband. If my husband was a more loving man, I'd be a more submissive wife. No, it wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You hate God, and so you're just living it out. I can't wait, because God wins. Do I sound harsh? Anyone who wants to stand up against God and oppose Him, I'm opposed to them, and yes, I'll be harsh. But if two people will look at verses like this, and every wife will hear Colossians 3.18, Wives, I'm speaking to half the congregation now, either in fact or in the future. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. It's a nice text. It is very fit in the Lord for women to be submissive. Next verse, and you all know what this, I've told you what this verse says to me. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. If I happen to have some bitterness... If that bitterness happens to be visible to my wife, she can't use Colossians 3.19 not to submit because Colossians 3.19 wasn't written to her. It was written to me. And guess who I'm responsible to for Colossians 3.19? Not my wife. The Lord God. And there's the verse. Wives, submit yourselves. 
If a husband knows that his wife hasn't been fully submissive, that does not excuse him from being the loving husband he's supposed to be from the 19th verse. That's what I mean by personalizing it. Don't let it slip off and be just thinking about your spouse. What do these verses say to you? That's what needs to be done. Brethren, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That was number 7. Personalize the commandments of God's Word and fully fulfill the commandments as they apply to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Doesn't it seem reasonable that the easiest person in the world that we should be able to practice these two verses for is our spouse? Should be. What's the truth? It's the hardest. Because we live with them 24-7. You know, when we get to see each other for three hours on Sunday morning and three hours on Sunday evening, I can be quite loving. I can be quite tender-hearted. I could even see you once or twice during the week and be tender-hearted. I'm speaking to you as a man. But what about the 24-7 with your wife? What about the 24-7, 168 hours a week with your husband? The eighth point is graciousness. 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 No bitterness. No wrath. No anger. No clamor. No malice, no evil speaking. What if a husband and a wife were to practice these two verses toward each other? No bitterness. Be kind one to the other, to another. Tender-hearted. Not hard-hearted. Not habit-hearted. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as... Most powerful English combination there is, even as, even as, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What if two people were to do that? Wow, what a marriage. This is simple, isn't it? Simple to say it and simple to hear it. And hard to do it. May God help us. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Verse 35, the Apostle Paul concluding his farewell speech to the elders of the church at Ephesus, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The ninth essential for marriage is, make it a giving relationship. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The Lord, the husband in the Bible, gave his life for his bride. And that is set forth as the example to us in another passage of Scripture that we're not going to turn to. But right here it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Anyone who's ever truly tried this verse knows that it's true. Now, whether you've tried it and you don't think it's true, guess what I think about those thoughts? I won't say it. They're vain thoughts. Thank you. I hate vain thoughts. 
Psalm 119, but thy law do I love. Amen. Jesus said this. If Jesus said it, it's true. Amen. And for those of you who love the Lord Jesus Christ and trust his word and have tried this, it is true. Right. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, what if two parties in a marriage both heard this message and they said, man, I love that ninth point. Wow. I've forgotten that those words are in the Bible. I thought Abraham Lincoln's. Oh, I won't use that down here. I thought George Washington said that. No, Jesus Christ said it. Look at all you rebels looking at me. <laughs> I, I, Jesus Christ said it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Two parties are sitting there, not elbowing each other, not writing each other notes. Did you get that? They hear me, and they commit themselves, I am going to be the giving one in this marriage. Right. I am going to give. They're going to get out in that car, and it's going to sit there all night. The husband's going to say, I want to take you out to eat tonight. The wife's going to say, I want to take you home and fix you a meal like you haven't had in a while. No, the husband says, I'm taking you out because I am going to give tonight. Oh, no, you're not. And they'll sit there all night. Well, until one of them decides that they could get a room here. That's giving. You know what we're doing instead? What can we get? I'm not getting enough out of my spouse. I'm not getting enough. And guess anybody that says that, thinks it, or has those feelings in their heart, you want, I can tell you about their marriage, and I can tell you about their soul. They are incredibly unhappy. Right. What can I give for that person that has irritated me for 20 years? What can I give to that person? that has irritated me for 20 years. Now, if you got through verse point number eight, you're already over the irritation because you forgave them as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then you come to verse nine. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Last verse, Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. I hear many voices coming to me and I'm not Benny Hinn with a word of knowledge. But I hear many people saying, it's too late. There's too much damage in my marriage. It's too long gone. The habits are in place. We're in a rut. We've lost what we once had. There's no way we can get it back. I've got your cure. It's the restorative essential of marriage, that a marriage can be restored. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ condemned the church at Ephesus, though they had many good things going for them, for their loss of their first love toward him. The love toward Jesus Christ is such a great and the highest and most difficult thing that we have to struggle with. If that can be restored, right. of a church toward the Lord Jesus Christ, a complete revival of a congregation to where they would get back to their first love, then certainly a husband and a wife can do it with each other. And there's a three... I've taught you before, but I'm putting it all together tonight. Very simply, I've taught you the three-step approach to restoring your marriage, just like restoring a church, just like restoring your first love for the Lord Jesus. It's all in verse 5. He tells you exactly how to get back your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember what you used to have. Remember what you used to think. Remember why you chose that person. Remember the good things that you have told others about that person you married. Remember. 
repent from having let it slide and do the first works. And I've just described the first works. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Sexual love, point number five, is more blessed to give than it is to take. Right on up the list. Remember, repent, and do the first works. If you put all of this together by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will have a happy marriage, and those first works will not be done without feelings. Why is this important? It's the New Testament religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the kind of marriages he expects husbands and wives to have. There is an assault being made on marriage that is unbelievable in and out of this congregation. May the Lord bless us to seek him with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Never will we accomplish what I preached this morning. And I'll tell you again, what I preached this morning was more important than what I preached tonight. But the two go together because you can't have this morning without tonight's. May the Lord bless you to love one another and thereby have a true heart in the full assurance of faith, forgiven by God, to approach into the holiest and have a more personal relationship with him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.